you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me this month to talk about Wonder Woman, Spirit of Truth by Alex Ross and Paul Dini is the voice of the amazing Amazon herself, Shannon Farnan. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm all on Twitter. <laughs> it's the real Rob Kelly. <laughs> oh, please. Uh, I am so honored to have you on this show. This is, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this from a million nerds like me. Oh, you, tell me you, again. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm guy. Even if you have, I was going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, you are the voice of Wonder Woman to me. You, you know, th- this is the first Wonder Woman voice I ever heard was you i grew up on super friends and so just the idea that i get to talk to the voice that came out of those drawings <laughs> those, you know, those those move those sort of animated drawings from animated, uh, <laughs> that's uh, a wonderful way to describe it they were sort of animated sort of animated you know but yeah the, but the um, message was there <laughs> absolutely oh god i watched super friends till my eyes fell out of my head you know i mean i just i could not get enough of it so i'm just so honored to get to talk to you so thank you for doing this. thank you thank you my pleasure so uh, as i mentioned in the intro we're here to talk about wonder woman spirit of truth treasury editions by alex ross and paul dini it came out in november of 2001 it was part of that whole set of ross dini oversized painted collaborations that they did that continued on with the secret origins book and then eventually justice league of america liberty and justice but as I said to you just before we started recording, Shannon, like wh- I've read interviews with you. I'm familiar with your history, but what other chance am I going to have to talk to Wonder <laughs> Woman herself? So I'm going to pepper you with some questions that I'm oh, sure you've answered God. a million times, but I, you know, I'm sorry. Well, maybe <laughs> I'll get it. Maybe I'll get it right this time. Okay. Maybe so. <laughs> so, okay. How did you get, how did you get the job in the first place? How did you become yeah, the voice it, of Wonder Woman? Well, I like. Now that I've done it a few years ago and did it for 10 years in a row, I've learned a lot of interesting background through the years about the creation of Wonder Woman. And the year she came out, and not every woman is going to admit to this one, the year that cartoon hit the stands, I was born. The year the cartoon hit the stands, I was born. Now, does that say something? Like maybe I was destined to play this role. Absolutely. Your parallel lives and then they meet up in 1973. I tell you, I tell you, I was just uh, 1973 is when we started recording. So I got this job because, as luck would have it, I did a live action commercial. And I was the commercial girl with the director who wound up being the original director on the show. And we did a vitamin, Flintstone vitamin commercial for Hanna-Barbera. And we got to know each other, and you know, through the day, you're together all day and whatever. And lo and behold, down the line, get a call from my agent, and they said, Hanna-Barbera wants to see you for the voice of Wonder Woman. Oh, I thought it was a joke. Because I had never, that was not in my plan to be an animation voice. I had lots of big plans and lots of territories I wanted to cover, industrial films, commercials, film, television, looping, print work. I really did want to do it all, and I have kind of done it. But when this call came in, well, I just was sure it was a mistake. But I finally realized, no, they really do. So there was the director when I went for the audition. And we played around with her and having the freedom to go where no man ever went before. Mm. We created this woman who was 
all female, but very strong and powerful, equal to the men in strength, but with the addition of all of the feminine qualities that men also have and perhaps haven't developed quite as well yet. (laughs) (laughs) Just a thought. So that's how it happened. Wow. So you weren't even... They, they, I don't want to say they handed it to you because you had to go and audition, but it wasn't, as you said, yeah. it was like anything you were pursuing. No, no. And they sent all the tapes or the guess the tapes he wanted to send. Obviously, he had to send more than one. They sent the audition tapes to the network and the network chose me. Amazing. So do, do we say it's in the stars? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's unbelievable. Now, were you... I mean, you just mentioned that you were born the same year as Wonder Woman. So again, it was sort of a destiny. But were you, was Wonder Woman on your radar at all before that? Well, as a girl, as a girl, I read the cartoons. It was the only female cartoon superhero that they had. And I was just along with all the other girls. That's the one I read along with other cartoons. And I have the most wonderful sign in my hutch outside on my patio. And it says, I'm not saying I'm Wonder Woman. I'm just saying no one has ever seen Wonder Woman and me in the room at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? You can't argue with that, really. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, I, you know, there was a Wonder Woman pilot a tv pilot that they attempted to make in the in the late 60s but it never aired it never showed right. it never showed on television so right. you were and outside of i think one appearance that she made on a brady bunch a brady a kids cartoon, cartoon right, you, right. you are the first multimedia wonder woman i mean linda yes. carter would Kathleen Lee crosby and, and linda carter would come along in succession but you were the first person to establish what this character could look or yes. sound like outside yes. of the comic book, which is, I mean, again, I remember why I, I don't even remember discovering super friends. It was just always on, you know, yeah. it was just gravitated <laughs> to it. And to me, when I hear the characters in my head, it's, I still hear that voice that you've got. Now, did you have to modulate your voice to play her or did that, or did you deepen it? I mean, what did you have to do? Was that well, your natural voice I, in 1973? When we were in the, uh, the audition booth, the director said to me at one point, okay, now take off the shirtwaist dress and put on your boots. And basically that just gave me total permission to play it as a strong superwoman and not worry about anything else. Because I do not come out of this, do not sound, especially when Wonder Woman is at work, I sound just as strong as the boys. And I really loved the freedom to do that because how can you have a woman? She may not leap tall buildings, but she does fly through the air and doesn't kill anybody, but managed to find truth and justice without it. So I think it was a powerful point about that character. I felt it was a powerful point to do, to use. We've played with her being a little more feminine, but in our estimation, and I include the director, that wasn't, her sex was not what we were pushing. It was what she stood for. So that's what took me in that direction. So did I play with my voice? Well, in essence, that's what you do every time you do a character. And we always had to do more than our main role. We had to do our main role and a couple, whatever else was going on that needed a female voice attached to it. For every show. So you get a lot of opportunities to play with your voice. And I wound up absolutely loving that process. Well, actually, that, that leads into something I wanted to ask you about is, do, did you and the other actors record together? Was that the way the show was done? Or did you come in and was it you and Danny Dark and Olin Sewell and Norman Alden, Casey Kasem all in a room together? Or did you, did it we vary? Were, whenever possible, we were all in the same studio working together. There were always times when one of us had a TV show to do or something that was booked as well. And that studio, Hanna-Barbera, was always very encouraging to go ahead and let you do that. And they brought you in at a separate time in a smaller booth. And then you, you worked accordingly and sometimes alone. But it was always everybody's preference because obviously actors work off of actors. 
that was always our prayer. And sometimes we had 12 mics going in one room. So the cast with all their guests had a big studio. The biggest one they had is the one we worked in. That sounds like a lot of fun to be in a room with all those, all those actors and and going back and forth and doing all that stuff. And the talent. I mean, as much as I improved my craft in animation, I can't and couldn't hold a candle to some of the people in that studio. Now, mind you, some of them, that's all they do. They do animation and voiceover, period. I was never in that category, so I wasn't running around feeling inadequate. But boy, it didn't take me but five minutes to recognize the people in the room that really were gifted. So mm-hmm. it was a jo- it was a joy. That's it great. Was- oh, I love that. <laughs> it's just, it makes yeah. me so happy to know you guys were having a blast. Oh, we did. This. And we never had any idea that this thing would have the legs that it did. Well, we, weren't, then- we weren't under contract. We did this this year and then next year, and they kept calling us back, but they didn't have to. I, I, I swear, Shannon, I think you must have looked at my notes ahead of time or something because <laughs> that's something else that I have written down was, were you aware of any no. uh, not fandom, but I mean, what, did you just kind of go in and do the job and move on to the next thing? Was there any idea that there were people out there that were really responding to this? Well, obviously we knew somebody liked it, but we were all a little old for watching cartoons. So mm. it's not like every Saturday morning we ran to the TV to watch cartoons, <laughs> but we, gradually learned i got i began to be asked if i would appear at some charity events and that was because of wonder woman so gradually i started to realize that um this has affected a lot of people and of course as time went on you really got to realize it some of the people come up to me when i do an occasional uh, comic convention and they're in tears they are so grateful to meet me yeah, I mean, I, mean, I mean that's moving. That is moving. And recently in July, I was back in Indiana. A twelve-year-old girl came up to the table and started crying because I was such a role model for her. Now, if you can't feel good with that, you don't have feelings at all. Yeah, I mean that's I. I, I mean you you have lots of other credits and you know there's a lot and a lot of actors you know a lot of the other actors you were working with were also uh you know on-screen actors norman alden casey Kasem, certainly but like you know that's that that's such a wonderful bonus to have on this job that you're doing is to know that you're really you know really leaving an impact on small kids that are watching this you know that's what a a delightful bonus that you're not going to get for a lot of other jobs that you might be doing in between no absolutely not i mean we all loved working period whatever gig it was but we uh that was really an unexpected joy as it turns out i'm just sorry that some of them are gone i'm the last living superhero superhero. oh oh, that's uh, yeah i i interviewed norman alden about 15 years ago and he could not have been a nicer oh, guy. He was he so was sweet. We also worked together on a show at Universal. I forget which it was now, but we, uh, very, very lovely man. Olin yes. Sulein became a very good friend of mine. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I imagine yeah. like you're having, you're having lunch somewhere and like, you know, the waiter has no idea that it's, this is Superman and Wonder Woman sitting no, there. In front no, no, that's right. That's right. And you know, although funnily enough, when I, traveled i was more recognized than when i was in hollywood Interesting. and one incident just blew me away i was in california but i was in a very small town in the mid mid coast checking in a hotel and we started to talk i was at making you know check in at the front desk she said you're the voice of wonder woman <laughs> just like that i swear well, I started, I was looking around to see if anybody told her. <laughs> that kind of thing really shakes you. It just jars you. That's that's fantastic. Now, did did any, for all the other things that you did in between doing Super Friends, because, I mean, of course, Super Friends ran for 10 years while you were doing yeah. it, and you're off doing television, you're doing movies and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Did, did other, you ever had experiences where somebody on a crew or on a cast is is 
hey, Wonder Woman, like, you know, the, my kid loves this or something like no, that. Did, did it travel no, that way? Not, not, not really. I was recognized. I did an awful lot of commercials. Well, I'm still working when I can and when I get the job. But uh, I've been more recognized for either a commercial or a particular show or, oh, I saw you on It Takes a Thief or, oh, I saw you, you know. But that was, that's been a while. But not for the Wonder Woman, no. There were, well, before we move on to talking about uh, your history with the Wonder Woman comics and this particular book in question, there's two credits of yours I just want to mention because I, you know, like I was watching these two things and then I saw your name in the credits and I went, what? Like, because I know your <laughs> name, obviously. So I, I just, I, you know, I, it has nothing to do with Wonder Woman, nothing to do with comic books. But I, again, what other chances are going to have to ask you about this? Two things. One was a TV movie, because I'm curious whether you remember these. Because, I mean, obviously, a lot of these credits are a long time ago and you've done sure. hundreds of things. So, I mean, to nerds like me, it stands out. But, of course, you're a working actor. You're moving on from one thing to the right. next. Like, or whatever. Right. But you, you were in a TV movie called Love, Hate, Love. Yes. Do you remember this with Ryan O'Neill? I do. I do remember. Okay. That. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You're in that. I, I believe I was a snooty, um, snooty upper class girlfriend of, uh, who was that? Well, Catherine Ross, was it? I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to look that up, but that's okay. I profiled it for another one of my shows because it's the last. It was the last film produced by Joan Harrison, who was one of the only female producers in Hollywood. And it's her last film as a wow. producer. And so we chronicled that. But when I was watching it in in reference for that show, and I'm looking at the credits and your name, I was like, there, oh, she oh, oh, there she is. There she is. <laughs> and then the other one I wanted to I, I wanted to mention was a Western you did called Against a Crooked Sky. Oh, isn't that wild? Yeah. You had, you're like a big part in that one too. And I, 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 I yeah. was that a fun gig? Oh yeah. We were in, in Moab, Utah and Earl Bellamy, a terrific director was directing it. I mean, Richard Boone. Mm-hmm. It was a big film. It was done by a Mormon group, lovely group of people. And I followed it up a couple of years later, working for the same group down in LA doing a film called Strangers at Jefferson High. Okay. And I, I played uh, the same boy's mother. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, totally, totally different story, totally different cast type people, but that was nice. That was nice. Oh, that's great. Oh, right, yeah. Again, again your name pops up and I was like, what? Oh, oh man, I wonder what to this. This is great. So, okay. Um, so I do want to ask you a little bit about you you mentioned that you were uh, you know you read the Wonder Woman comics so you were you know you had some familiarity with the character once you when you got the gig did you keep up with it as you went on just as a as a fan or some feeling of hey I've I'm now part of this character's history like did you continue to look at the comics or keep up to date with them oh you know during your Super Friends years and then after no I didn't really it didn't inspire me to read more comic books because. When I started this show, I was married with twins, and the twins mm. were, I think, two or three years old. I mean, it was just... You're a little busy. You moved on with your life. You did your job. You went home. You took care of the ironing. You know I mean? I <laughs> to get back to real life. <laughs> Wonder Woman slaving away on the ironing board. Oh, That's... yes, yes. Where's my Wonder <laughs> Woman? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, so then, because the reason the, the show, you know, sort of happened in the first place is thanks to... Uh, your association with our dear departed friend, Zoom Yukinori, because you did some dramatic readings from this comic book for Zoom, and you can find them on, on YouTube and stuff. So how did you, and, and the reason uh, you and I got hooked up is thanks to Zoom's right. son, yes. Isamu, the, the apple doesn't far from, far from from the tree over there. I know. Uh, well, the, wonderful the, young man. There's more than that because Zoom and his very good friend, Neil Southwell, and I forget how long ago this was. That's my dog. He barks for free when I'm on these things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, um, they were totally instrumental for encouraging me to get a website. They actually created my website when I had it. We kept it several years, but to be honest with you, it was a big pain because <laughs> if, if people weren't getting in and crashing 
some dumb thing. I mean, it was it was just a pain. And I said, you know, this is a good was a good idea, but I passed. But they did a beautiful job. And a lot of my um, convention photos were actually created by Neil Southwell, his buddy. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, that was a big story. But anyway, Zoom, of course, got me in touch with this book, which, oh, my God, what a gorgeous book. And I actually narrated the whole book on a, on a CD. Did you? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I, yes, I read the, the I was online. Going, oh, that's cool. I was going to ask you if Isamu sent you a copy of that. No, I'll have I, to hear that. I, he, I'm sure he's, he's listening. So, dude, send it to me. better check because if he doesn't have it, I will have a copy of mine made and get it to you. Well, thank you. I am sure he has a copy. The the Yukonoris keep everything, as far as I can tell, yeah. from my association with them. Zoom was a complete madman. We miss him and terribly. I, uh, but uh, Oh, yeah. Talent, 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 talent. Yeah. But absolutely. I was hoping, you know, this book, for those who haven't found it or read it, it's, it's a beautiful book. And the story is written well. And it really lends to having the CD with the narration of the book while you while you are looking at the book and the beautiful pictures. And Absolutely. I thought this would be a perfect way to sell this book. Well, over the course of this show, we've been chronicling these Alex Ross Paldini collaborations. And I really, you know, he's a he's a the most famous fan of this format. And so he used this sort of commercial heft to get these made at the size. And uh, I was so happy to to that they were created that these you know wonderful picture books sort of they're kind of a yeah. combo of comics and picture books so for anyone who hasn't read it i'm going to do a very brief synopsis and then of course if if you haven't seen this book go check out the images on our website oh. fineWaterPodcast.com. but here's i'm going to do a very brief synopsis of wonder woman spirit of truth so uh it opens with wonder woman thwarting a terrorist junta which has seized control of a government building and taken hostages after making quick work of the terrorists she boards her invisible jet and moves onto the seemingly endless list of trouble around the world that she needs she needs to address wonder woman stops armed crooks helps rescue factory workers caught in a fire stops animal poachers from attacking members of endangered species, and prevents a derailed train from crashing and killing many of its passengers. Despite all the good that she does, though, Wonder Woman feels anxious that she is not fulfilling her role, uh, the role her mother Hippolyta gave her to help bring in peace, bring peace to a man's world. She returns to Paradise Island for some relaxation as well as contemplation. She talks to her mother, who has been removed from the day-to-day troubles of the world for so long that she cannot fathom that her daughter isn't more warmly received by those who she was sent there to help wonder woman then returns to the world getting involved in a political dispute between a dictatorial government and peaceful protesters demanding more freedom she rescues a young protester about to be trampled by a tank but when she tries to talk to the young woman instead of grateful the young woman recoils from diana regarding her as an interloper and running away wonder woman makes a few more attempts to resolve political and social conflicts in various nations but is met with similarly similar hostility, both from government officials and the oppressed people. One group of women gets so angry at this mysteriously garbed stranger, they pelt Wonder Woman with rocks, causing her to retreat. Despondent, Diana turns to a friend, Clark Kent. Over coffee, Kal-El discusses how he was at a similar crossroads in his role as Superman, and how he learned the hard way that even a Superman isn't always wanted by the very people he is trying to help. He offers that perhaps Wonder Woman is similarly imposing. Diana then takes a different tack, going undercover amid various spots of turmoil, stepping in and using her mighty abilities to stop violence before it starts. She stops a logging company from illegally demolishing an area of rainforest, helps detect and defuse landmines, and makes her way into a group of hostages held by a paramilitary group. When one of them demands the women be sent to a munitions depot where they could be killed, only then does she reveal herself as Wonder Woman. After rescuing the women, Wonder Woman has now realized that expecting their ta- their thanks was a mistake. She is there to save lives, but also to serve as a beacon for new ideas, tolerance, and understanding. And while she can continue to do both as Wonder Woman, she also sees that her mission will be better served walking around those in the man's, in the human world. All right, Shannon, so you, you talked about this book. I mean, when you got this, when, when I guess when Zoom introduced this to you, did you have any sort of concept that they were doing this kind of story for Wonder Woman at this point? No. No, I knew nothing about this. No. 
I, I haven't seen the others that you told me about. Yeah, you there was a there's a Superman, a Batman, a Captain Marvel, and then they did a, yeah. a sort of Secret Origins and then a full Justice League one. But these four, the initial four, are really kind of their own thing because they really are they're not comic books in terms of their format, but they're right. not children's books. They and they are these are these characters addressing real world issues through the photographic you know style of uh, the photorealism of Alex Ross's work. So this is this is something different for these characters. Yes, very much. But it's, as you pointed out, it's more realism. And even there's a couple pages toward uh, with her explaining her um, kind of her method after she's changed and, and, you know, decided to go undercover Mm -hmm. that explain what she does with her power and how she works. It's a much, it's a serious, if you dare call it a cartoon, you almost don't call it a cartoon. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a serious story about the powers that exist in not just um, Superman, but in kind of when you recognize what your power is as a human. Of course, they have also extra powers because they didn't start out that way. But you realize what you can accomplish by almost taking the energy from one area and placing it into another. So it's it's pretty magnificent this book. Yeah, uh it's it's you know I, I I as a kid I sparingly read Wonder Woman but I certainly followed her as I mentioned in Super Friends and I followed her in Justice League and you know there there's a it's an, it's unfortunate that it's it, it is this way or at least it was for for many young boys but it's like I we are so used to male superheroes kind of coming in smashing yeah. things up and they're fixing it and when Wonder Woman does it, there's just like, oh, is this kind of, this is, that's, that, is that the way to do this? And it's like, well, wait, why does Wonder Woman not get to have that same kind of mentality? But it, I love that they address that. Deanie and Ross address that kind of idea that in the man's world, because there's many, many shots of Wonder Woman coming in to a group of men, yep. 12, 15 yep. men all kind of looking at each other like, oh, okay, who's this yeah. interloper here? What I, am very disappointed in through the years of since the original cartoon is the way they began to objectify her. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden they were painting her, not Alex Ross, but they were painting her. It seemed like every so many months or I don't know, perhaps it was years, but it felt like months. They were making her more masculine and more buff and more sexually objectified. Mm. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. That's missing the entire purpose of the original Wonder Woman. Over the year. Like, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the, you know, William Walton, Moulton, William Moulton, Marston, Martin Moulton, <laughs> I got that <laughs> all screwed up. It's a tongue twister. Um, was doing a, an example of the importance of telling the truth. And how powerful the truth is and how truth can overcome evil. Love can overcome evil. But, you know, it had nothing to do with the fact that she had muscles. That was everybody has muscles. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just my personal take. I also don't like the way they changed the costume. Uh, the current, the current version, the the kind of the movie. Well, one with not all the... just the current one, but they it went through many permutations when they started making her a, mm-hmm. uh, look more like a gorilla. That costume changed too. So <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I have an opinion here. Uh, well, I mean, sure, you you know, I feel, you... I feel very proprietary about her. <laughs> of course, how could you not? I mean, that's something that that's you know amazing about these characters that have gone on and and survived for now eighty years. Is and I, I wanted to ask you about this: is that you talked about that like a twelve year old came up to you and it tears in her yeah. eyes talking about Wonder Woman? <laughs> like everybody, every version of Batman is we have learned as an uh, for me I've learned over, as a nerd over the years every iteration of Batman is somebody's favorite even the one that most people think is like it's really like in the 50s where he was going to like planets and fighting dinosaurs you're like really that that's somebody's favorite there's somebody who's like that's my Batman and that's yeah. the same thing with Wonder Woman is that there's every I mean the world that Wonder Woman was created in is so drastically different 
than the one that that 12 year old is growing up in. And yet, yet they're seeing something in this character for them. And over the years that you've talked to fans, I mean, do they describe to you, have they gone into you like what their Wonder Woman is? Or is it, is it more just through your voice and the image? That's part of the other thing too is about because you did the voice and it's attached to a cartoon, the cartoon doesn't change. The cartoon looks the same in, in 73 than it did in 83. And there's, there's something about where as a child, you're imprinting everything that you believe about that character onto that image because it's not, it's not specific. It's, it's, it's like a template for you to put on and only your voice is kind of the, the human element to it. So have these, all these people you've talked to, and I don't want to just limit it to girls. There have to be men oh, that love Wonder Woman there, as well. There are men that come dressed up as Wonder Woman. <laughs> I swear that's true. And one of the best costumes in the, that cosplay group I ever saw was a boy in a Wonder Woman costume. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, I mean, it, it, it's endless. The, it's all, it's endless awe. <laughs> and yeah, but people who come to talk to me and want my autograph and my photo, they, that's who they see as their Wonder Woman. Because right behind me at these conventions is a picture of what my cartoon looked like. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, and it's intergenerational, the grandfathers are now bringing their sons and their, and their grandsons. Mm-hmm. And all of them have seen it because it's readily available. Mm-hmm. So I guess it'll live forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it will. Um, one and of the. What I don't want to forget saying that this book, even though it was written many years ago, the things that come out of Diana's mouth or Wonder Woman's mouth are just as true today as they were then. The things she was fighting for in Spirit of Truth. We're all fighting for right now. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's the thing. That's why they these cartoons that give that kind of message never die. Yeah. Uh one of my favorite elements in the in this book, first of all, you mentioned sort of the at times misplaced sexuality that, that some artists can give Wonder Woman because yeah, they you know, they draw her and it's it's kind of this very revealing costume. Alex Ross has a real skill at oh, yeah. he doesn't shy away from Wonder Woman's you know, absurdly <laughs> gorgeous anatomy, but but right. but it's not drawn in a purient way. I mean, the one point where she yes. where she takes off her, she has like a burqa on. She takes right. she's hiding among this group, and then she disrobes and yes. she's standing there. And it's, I mean, yes, there's a lot of flesh on display, but it is not a sexualized image in any way. It is this is this. I mean, she looks like, uh, you know, like a giant. I mean, she I looks know. like a goddess, she looks which like of course. Yeah, and and the looks on the faces of the people who are still wearing the burkas around her are of one of awe, you know, mm-hmm. and fear on the men's faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's the beginning of that scene I was telling you. We'll call it a scene. That section in the book mm-hmm. that speaks of truths at that point in time as well as today. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite parts of the book as well is that when she decides to, uh, and then again, this is something that Superman discovers in, in the, in that book that he did, the peace on earth, where having these enormous powers and muscles don't just necessarily fix everything. And I love it that right. when Wonder Woman goes undercover, like she goes undercover as a, and she tends to wounded. And then yes. the, the other thing is where she is detecting landmines. And I, it's only the one panel where you see her doing that really two panels, but I absolutely love that sequence because it's like, yeah, this is, this is a vital thing that we need to get rid of or the, you know, the, the parts of the country, parts of the world that are dotted with landmines. And here's someone that can do it because there's no fear that she's going to get killed doing it. It's like, she's doing an enormous amount of good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's why I say this book is so. I get, I hate to say that it will always be timely because what a sad statement that would be about humanity. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid that's the development and the evolution of humanity today. And until we start surpassing that, then it's like it'll always be today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there, there. Goes on. Yeah. I mean, I said it, it is a marvelous book. Dean Ian Ross 
really had this sort of knock on these characters and really found a way to kind of make them new and present something different and again, but make it. And these books are, again, they're like a wonderful hybrid of that they're ideal for children. Uh, you know, children aiming to, you know, read a little more sophisticated because the concepts are yes. a little more sophisticated. But the art, of course, as always, it's Alex Ross is just so beautiful. And, you know, so many pages are like, you know, perfect for framing and stuff like that. And they don't shy away from the action, but yet, uh, you know, she's a distinct person, you know, like they're, they're, right. he uses models. I mean, it's just an absolutely, um, great book. And I think it was, as, it's as equal to the other, uh, additions in this in this series and so i'm i'm so happy that zoom introduced this to you like that's so yeah. great that you didn't know that it was out there and then you got to yeah. check it out that's you know and you get another great thing that zoom has uh brought us yeah and 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 one last little thing at least about this book is that they also brought out the vulnerability in her with those scenes with clark kent mm-hmm. and that's that that you didn't often see in uh, the cartoons themselves. Oh, it's wonderful to see them sitting together as Diana and Clark, not yeah. Superman and Wonder Woman, and having. And I love that when when Clark talks about how imposing she is, and she has this look of like I'm imposing, and you're like, yeah. really, you don't know the <laughs> you're yeah. imposing? Oh really, my god! Um, yeah, yeah, I fooled you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> By the really way, a girl. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a, there's some great action beats in the story, and that leads me to one other thing I wanted to ask you about is when you were doing the voice right, and you're doing the physical stuff. You know, like she's throwing the magic lasso, or she's doing, yes. you know, she's lifting something. Are you like, are you doing the physical movements? Are you moving yourself in a way to give that kind of breathy sound. And, yes. and did you, did you go back and watch some of them later and go, wow, that's what they did with it. Like you weren't really. No, 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 no. You do that. I mean, it's, you literally perform that whole thing. You you do the, if you're out of breath, you're, you're running in place, mm-hmm. you know? So yes, you do all that. Every time the lasso gets thrown, it's an <laughs> effort, but not, it's not an effort that's going to knock you down. Right, you right, know? right. <laughs> did they give you a rope or something to troll no, around? No, or did no, you just... no, you get to pantomime those things. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. Good. Well, um, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, Isamu mentioned to me, you know, he introduced me t- to this thing that you had done, which I thought was so cool that you had done this voiceover for this book. Cause I love this book and it was so neat to hear your voice combined with these images. And so when he, I say, when he mentioned to me, uh, would you like to talk to Shannon for the show? I was very intimidated because, oh. well, because I, you, you Wonder Woman to me, Shannon, you are. I mean, said it, it's, Thank you. you know, Thank I mean, that there was, I watched Saturday morning cartoons like every kid my age, but no matter what time they ran Super Friends and they moved it around a lot, 8.30, 9.30, 10.30, whatever it was, that was the anchor of my Saturday morning. Which oh, was yeah, other was shows can come and go, but I'm watching Super Friends. And so yeah. the thought of getting to talk to you was intimidating, but I would have kicked myself if I had passed up on it. So thank you so much for, for coming on and doing this. This was just such My an honor pleasure. to get to talk to you. My pleasure, Rob. I'm so glad you had the patience to go through our many attempts. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Yeah. Behind the scenes, everybody, we did have to try this a couple of minutes. And I will mention I maybe shouldn't even mention this because uh, it's it's sort of a private server. What the, so the last time we were going to record this, uh, <laughs> Shannon had to bow out because a neighbor of hers got sick and Shannon had to take her to the hospital, which I said to her, imagine being that woman and getting taken to the hospital, rescued and taken to the hospital by Wonder Woman. Like you know, what a life that, that woman's living. something I'd have never thought of that, but it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Tara, this woman has <laughs> food poisoning, doctor. <laughs> as, as I walk into the emergency room. <laughs> That's so cool. That is so cool. Well, um, Shannon, I hope that at some point, I go to a lot of conventions. I hope at some point that I am at the same convention as you so I can come up and, and oh, say hi to you. Too. Personally, this just meant so much to me. So thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Be sure to send me this link. I might get this up on my channel. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Of course I will. So, Okay. uh, (laughs) Well, thank everybody for listening. Stay tuned. I'm going to run some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. 
L'amour, l'amour. That's French for love. Dear Reader, Season 2. Join me, Stella, as I look at the 1936 play The Women by Claire Booth Luce and its three cinematic adaptations from 1939, 1956, and 2008. Does the play highlight the complicated aspects of female friendship or display the cattiness of women when in competition with each other and with time? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcasting Network. Mary Haynes, what is all this? <laughs> I've had two years to grow claws, Mother. Jungle Ranch! Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. Since there are so many of us, we have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLU Cast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. And it's time for listener feedback. And these are the comments we got on Treasury Cast episode 84. The Sensational Spider-Man with my guest, Captain Entropy. First up is Matt Soroyce, who says, Great episode. Not only is it about a Treasury edition, but it's also about Marvel Team-Up, one of my favorite Bronze Age titles. Captain America and Spider-Man are two of my absolute favorite comic book characters. I love it when they team up. However, the story presented here has one of the most ridiculous and abrupt endings I've ever read. Did Len Wein think he had more pages to tell the story? Cap and Spidey have been turned into stone and launched into space. Then they're instantly back to normal and free with no explanation. Even Spider-Man is confused. He has no idea how they pulled it off. It really seems like this was supposed to be a cliffhanger. Continued into the next issue, but Wein was told to wrap it up on the last page instead. As far as Captain Entropy's wanting to meet a scientist who's a badass, Dolph Lundgren has black belts in multiple martial arts arts as well as degrees in chemical engineering. <laughs> the more you know. Thank you both for a fun listen. Thank you, Matt. Lizanne Oswald says, cool podcast, Rob, sir. You forgot that Cap's costume is all chainmail, including his gloves. So yeah, the skull cut his hand off because it wasn't going to happen if he tried to cut off Steve's. This is in the movie where the skull didn't go for his. Though, yeah, the movie was super cheesy. Can't wait for the next episode. I, I don't know. I think you could cut through chain mail. I don't. Mm, all right. I, I, we'll move on. Edo Bozar says, oh, man, it was such a relief to see a new episode of Treasury Cast drop. The lack of a show in August started to make me wonder if the show was slipping into the same limbo as Digest Cast, which now seems to only appear once a year if we're lucky. Great show, though. Spider-Man team-ups are always a great topic. And this one was such a great lineup. Kazar, Black Panther, Cap, Stegron, Stegron, and the Grey Gargoyle. Uh, with art by Kane and Sabu Senna, all held together by Gia Koya. What's not to love? Otherwise, I second or third the suggestion for a treasury-sized Captain America stories drawn by Mike Zek, in part because I'm yet another member of the Bernie Rosenthal fan club, as I think I've mentioned somewhere on this site before. Paul Ken from this very network says, great episode, Rob, as usual. Captain Entropy was a terrific guest. I can't wait to have him on BFR soon. But I had to comment on the AIM scientist slash goon discussion. When I was a kid, I didn't perceive much differentiation among the various Marvel nameless goon organizations. But somehow later, I think in my 20s, which is still a long time ago now, LOL, I had a V8 moment. I realized that Marvel had the Magia, which uh, was the mob goons, the mafia. AIM, which were the science guys, and Hydra, which were the spy international intrigue guys. That way, the writer could choose a group with throngs of people for the hero to fight, depending on the threat. As for Captain's objection that these uh, were the laser loser scientists and couldn't shoot that rocket so precisely, I tend to agree, but even they had a bunch of loser scientists. I can't imagine there was a small group of good ones doing the hard science. They get paid more. Maybe? Maybe. Captain Nitrobe chimed in. He says, thanks for the kind words, everyone. This was a blast to do. And it's always great to talk comics with anyone in the fine water community. I will, well, not shag. I want to apologize for confusing the Italian Red Skull of the 1990 Captain America movie with the Dr. Doom of the 94 Roger Corman Fantastic Four. I can't explain my gaff conflating the two movies. I haven't seen either one, but this morning after my coffee, it all became clear. I punished myself by complimenting shag publicly, but I know Rob would say that's going too far. Agree. Bucky749 says, Spider-Man is one of my faves. 
and I've seen few episodes of the live action series, both the U.S. and Japanese series, uh, both okay for their time. Uh, too bad the Hulk and Daredevil series had that whole crossover movies that never went to a series. Maybe if they had, we might have seen some more Thor treasures and maybe a Daredevil and Hulk treasury. Have you seen those two Hulk movies? Yes, I've seen all the Hulk TV movies. They're incredibly cheesy. Uh, maybe it's good that they didn't end up as springboards for, for series, especially that, uh, that Daredevil one. Super Captain says, thanks for this episode. I have been compiling, uh, compiling a list of the earliest comics I remember having, 7781. And I forgot about this one. I definitely recall the cover and the triptych of all the Xandu, the Ma- Magi Stegron, thank Captain Entropy, the Dinosaur Man and the Grey Gargoyle. Stegron also made me think about how some characters have those p- particular speech patterns that fit their character like serpentine characters who hiss, feline characters like Catwoman on the Batman TV series who purr or roll R's. And the here we go a plotting back up with Stan and the crew is a little traumatic for me. I've never swallowed a sour ball, but I did have a dumb, dumb lollipop break off and go down the wrong way when I was a kid. So I feel Larrip and Larry's pain. Ooh, Captain. Dr. Ann says, now I'm intrigued about who the new big name co-host in August was going to be. If it comes to happen, please let us know that this uh, this was the August 23 host. I'm a sucker for team-up books. Loved them as a kid, as this was how I learned about the bigger universes. This seems like fine choices. I especially like the Greg Gargoyle one. Technically, he's in the same place at the end as the beginning, helping ease the burden of some continuity walkers to keep track of these things. Yep, still in space. For me, <laughs> I think the Claremont burn... Marvel team-up stuff is the bee's knees, having their own little plot, which percolated through several issues. Those books also introduced me to Tigra and the Super Scroll, two of my favorite Marvel characters. Seems a no-brainer for another treasury, which should have happened. Lastly, thanks for the kind words about my site, Captain Entropy. I try to play it straight. Uh, Ange, in regards to answer to your question, yeah, the original host for the co-host for the August episode was supposed to be Shannon Farnan. Uh, that was, <laughs> that's why I sort of quasi plugged it on Ciscoid show because I was so excited about it. And there were just some technical issues that we couldn't overcome. And because of scheduling, I couldn't have Shannon back that week. And so that's why we didn't have any episode at all. But because of course it's Shannon Farnan, Wonder Woman, I was not ready to give up on this. So she was nice enough to, uh, rebook with me and then as i mentioned in the earlier segment with shannon she had a medical emergency where she had to help uh, her neighbor go to the hospital so we had to try and record it a third time which is the what you finally heard so again uh sorry everybody for the no show in august but i was of course i was not going to give up on getting shannon on the show and i'm finally so happy we finally got a chance to do it uh rob says is there a support group for all the bad guys that have knocked themselves into space uh, yes, but nobody can hear each other. Uh, <laughs> Captain Entropy uh, chimes in with Shaggy Man, Greg Gargoyle. Who am I forgetting? Uh, sad group. Brett Young says, great show, Robin Cap. I love a good old 70s Spider-Man treasury. Great collection of team-ups for Spider-Man. I only wish they could have all gotten together for happy hour at the end. Spidey, Kazar, Zabu, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain America. That would be an awesome Avengers team. I love Gil Kane's art. Nobody draws a better punch. And there's not an artist alive who can touch his dinosaur designs. Look at the difference between Kane's dinos and Buscema's in the following story. Whose dinosaurs are better? Kane's. Why? They have lips. Lips always make dinosaurs cooler. That's science. Though a lot of fun, these stories took some dark turns. Spidey just washes his hands of a few tragic moments. He sits on the dock and watches the Stegron drown. He and Cap hop on a rooftop past an AIM henchman hanging halfway out of a shattered window, most likely with a severed spine. Don't put that in the AIM recruiting brochure. He also is bye-bye to a terror-stricken gray gargoyle as he's dragged out into space. Not to mention Spidey and Doctor Strange strolling away from a grieving Xandu. Tough crowd. Finally, let me say, per your discussion, I absolutely implied that all AIM henchmen are scientists. How do they recruit? They most likely canvas high school and college career days with an awesome booth targeting STEM kids, giving out AIM pens and AIM dope bags and AIM beekeeper head stress balls. They do laser gun and torture device demonstrations for all the kids. They stress the hours are good, and you get to visit Coolville and headquarters in volcanoes and other exotic locations. You get to network with Modoc, Dr. Doom, and the leader. HR promises, due to updated policies, that the Red Skull isn't allowed to come around anymore. The uniforms are comfy like pajamas. You get to build giant laser cannons and killer robots. And the evilest selling point of all is a livable wage and health benefits. Those monsters. 
<laughs> it says something about late stage capitalism that working for AIM is like not the worst uh, thing you could end up doing. Uh, and then finally, from our very network, Chris Franklin says, late to the comments, but great show, gents. I did notice one thing. I have a copy of Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 5 reprinted in Essential Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, the black and white phone book reprints. Of course, here we go, applauding is reprinted, and there have been some alterations for the Treasury reprint here. One, while Stan had his beard and toupee in the original in the Treasury, he's made much more modern and shaggier with a slightly longer hair. God, imagine taking the time to do that. Larry now has a goatee where he didn't in the original. The three of them are said to be working on the Amazing Spider-Man comic, not the Spidey comic strip. And Roy mentions working on an Avengers story since this was several years before Conan. Marvel did a lot of adjusting when they reprinted comics up to the 80s. In the 80s, reprints of the Lee Ditko Spider-Man stories over Marvel Tales, they changed a reference to Aunt May watching the Beverly Hillbillies to the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, unfortunately for you, Chris, it wasn't uh, Smokey and the Bandits or something. Uh, you know, it's funny, the Conan reference that did turn my head a little because I remember thinking, wait a minute, this is from the annual in the mid-60s and they're talking about Conan? Conan wasn't a thing, but it just didn't. It didn't register with me enough to, to jot it down, uh, but it makes total sense. God, imagine taking the time to like change this three little goof, three page goofy thing just to make it more up to date. Marvel really went out of its way sometimes, maybe a little too far. So, um, <laughs> that is going to do it for the comments. Uh, big, big, big thanks to Shannon Farnan, Wonder Woman herself for coming on the show. It was just such an honor to get to talk to her. She was just such a delight and such a trooper that we had to try three separate times, as I mentioned, to record it, but we got it done. And I'm just so proud to, to have, have her on the show and talking with her about this great comic, Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth is one of the great uh, Alex Ross, Paul Dini collaborations. You all know how much I love those. And a huge thanks to Isamu Yukinori for helping put it together. Uh, again, uh, the apple does not fall, fall far from the tree. You're a good egg, Isamu, and I really appreciate it. So, that's going to do it for this episode of Treasury Cash. You can find all the back episodes on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. Where you can find us on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on the show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pollier, Brett Young, and Mark Balbus for their support of Treasure Cast. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. Missed again. Try another shot. Nah, it's no use. I just can't do it. Every time I look at the bottles, they get all blurry and fuzzy. Have you told your folks you're having trouble seeing? No. It's important to tell your parents right away about any changes in your vision. Blurring of close or far objects or double vision ought to be checked by an eye doctor. Let's talk to your folks about this. Right on, Wonder Woman.